We're going to continue this morning in this uh, new sermon series studying of the Gospel of Mark, which we've uh, cleverly uh, titled Marked. It's basically a study of the a book of, of Mark. This idea that encountering, and I hope that you're doing this in your life, but this idea that encountering the true living God um, leaves an indelible mark on us, right? Indelible is like a fancy word. It means it can't be rubbed off. It's there forever, like you're forever impacted. Um, and that's kind of what, what the thought a little bit is behind this series, that if you encounter the Word of God in a genuine way, that the God that you meet there, you have to contend with, and you'll be forever changed because of the encounter, right? That's the experience of Jesus. Um, we talked about last week how, you know, the Gospel of Mark is like the boiled-down gospel in a way. It's like, it's like so, I, I said it was like breathless, you know. It's like Mark, this young man who's come to know Jesus and travel with the missionaries, um, just can't wait to tell the story of who Jesus is and gets the privilege and the honor as an ordinary person to be part of this um, eternal story in Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's what we're uh, doing in the Gospel of Mark, looking at it. Um, and then last week we kind of set the table with uh, John the Baptist coming and this kind of, I, I love that idea of setting the table for God, like this huge wide landing strip, like God we welcome you here. Someone said this morning before service, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit's welcome here. And um, that's what we really believe is, you know, God's welcome to do what God wants to do when we're here um, together. And indeed, not just here, but in all of our lives. Um, the Gospel of Mark begins by saying, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the very start of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we're paying attention to. I did also want to start with a confession to you this week. If you were here last week, we talked about um, how easy it is to read the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I guess said two and a half hours, you can read the whole book. I encourage you guys to do that. I don't know if anyone took that up. I know a couple people told me, hey, I'm in this chapter, I'm in that chapter this week of Mark, but I don't know if anyone actually read the whole book this week. Um, but I, I was really struck by it last night because as I was, you know, kind of finalizing all the sermon details and stuff, I was like, I have not read the whole Gospel of Mark this week. And I just felt like, gosh, you know, as much, it's not crazy, but as much as it's easy to do, it's so, it's hard to do, right? It's hard to, to, to I don't know why that is. I mean, there's no excuse for that, but uh, I just wanted to confess that to you guys. Like, I felt like, like, like the Lord was saying, okay, so it's so easy. What happened, Bill? You had more than two and a half hours this week to read the scripture, and you didn't get that done. So uh, I, I'm, I hope that's an encouragement, maybe. I don't know. I'm going to try again. Um, my goal is to read it every week at least once as we're going through the series. And, uh, and again, it's one of those books that if you do that, there's just so much happening um, so quickly. So uh, I don't know. We're going to pray now as we get into the Word this morning, and we're going to kind of talk about the next section of Scripture. We can pretty much guarantee we're going to pick up where we left off every week. So if you want to read uh, just ahead a little bit, you can be doing that. We'll be ending on 15 today, uh, first, um, Mark 1, verse 15. So you can, we'll pick up there next week. But uh, as we enter in the Word, we're going to ask for God's wisdom, the only, only wisdom that we need or have available. Uh, pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for a chance to be together in your house, uh, worshiping you, drawing near in your name. Uh, we thank you that um, we come, we are here, and we come from all these different experiences this week of uh, the really high highs, maybe the low lows, the, the, um, the blessings, the difficulties, and everything in between, Father, but yet we're gathered again in your house with your people. I pray, Lord, that um, we would, as much as we're able, surrender ourselves to you in this time that we would really be listening to what your word would have to say to us. Father, we confess that we need your Holy Spirit to teach us in our hearts um, that no man may refute what you've said, that we could know you ultimately. And Father, we, uh, we actually expectantly long for the day that we will know you forever face to face. 
um, our faith will be sight. And uh, so we just look forward to that day. May this be a step on that journey for us today. Um, may we, we see again with fresh eyes um, the power and the glory of the gospel of Jesus. We love you so much. We thank you for a chance to worship in his name and to study and to read and to understand and to believe. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to pick up with Mark chapter 1, verse 9 this morning. Mark 1, 9. I think it's on page 699 if you're going to use one of our Bibles. I would encourage you to uh, do that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, to grab one of ours and use it while you're here. You can take it home with you if you want. Um, just to get eyes on the Word and see... Um, what it says for yourself. Can I kind of walk through uh, a, f- a few of these? I don't know. Just the next part in there. If you're, let's read the word together and then we'll chat through it. Um, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in a desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. We talked last week about how the table was set for the Messiah to arrive. And as a matter of fact, the first thing we're going to discuss this morning is the baptism of Jesus, which is an interesting thing to look at when you think about who Jesus is in his incarnation, right? We talked about John the Baptist kind of calling sinners to repent and make ready. And he, he said this one thing in there. He said, there's one coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, Right? I'm not worthy to stoop and to even tend to his feet. Get ready for that one who's coming. And then the Gospel of Mark so, um, so quietly says, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John. Just kind of says it like that, like it's no big deal. John's proclaiming that the Holy One, the Righteous One is coming. And then Jesus steps into the scene. This... I want you to see a couple things. This perfect timing of God's uh, presence in our lives and in the life of truly all of history at that perfect time that he came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John. We're going to talk about this now. We see three things that happen here in Jesus' baptism. And, and I know if you've been in one of our baptism services, you've heard this. We usually read all three Gospels to tell the story of Jesus' baptism about why we believe in baptism and the way we do baptism and why we should be baptized. And so I want to talk about Jesus' baptism a little bit this morning and see the three things that happen here immediately upon um, Jesus being baptized. He's baptized in the Jordan River, and as Jesus was coming up out of the water, that's how the NIV says it, but it means immediately upon coming from the water, the moment Jesus came from the water, three things happened very quickly, maybe, maybe even all at the same time. First it says that he saw heaven being torn open. When Jesus came up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Now, is that what it says? Because... Actually, it's plural. It's heavens. The heavens were rendered open when Jesus was baptized. 
And it might seem like a small thing, but I, I was just reflecting on that. I thought, well, yeah, you know, it's the opening of heaven, that there's a new way, that there's this new, you know, revelation, there's this new truth in Jesus Christ. But I want us to think about this in a very real, tangible way, that John is out in the desert. He's been baptizing lots and lots of people, and when Jesus comes... He baptizes Jesus. We'll know from the gospel, actually, that John protests about this baptism a little bit. And Jesus says that you should do it that all righteousness might be fulfilled, that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And in this righteous moment, in this moment when Jesus is baptized, immersed in the water, and comes up, the heavens are torn open. They're torn open. I have a few Greek words I want to share with you today just because I think that they're interesting. Maybe give us some, uh, a grasp into the text here. It's uh, schizomenos. And immediately what came to mind for me was this idea of schizophrenia. Uh, uh, and that's a weird an analogy to use maybe, but it's this idea that multiple layers, multiple things are kind of breaking open at the same time. What we would say of someone who's schizophrenic is they're different people, there's, there's different things. And, and here you have in this baptism of Jesus that these different heavens, these different realms are rendered open. They're rent, they're ripped. That's why it says torn. In the moment, it wouldn't have been just Jesus who had saw this, but those who were gathered would have seen this. The heavens ripped open in the moment. This baptism is not like other baptisms. There's been plenty but Jesus' is different, and the heavens are torn open. The second thing that we see here, and you've heard this before probably as well, but when Jesus is baptized, the heavens are torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. That's the second thing they see. It's that the Spirit lands on Jesus. That's interesting to me as well, uh, that um, you have this moment where um, the Spirit it seems, comes from heaven and lands on Jesus. This actually raises lots of questions for me as a follower of Jesus. Like, was the Spirit of God not already on Jesus before the baptism? That's an interesting question, I think. By the way, if I could encourage you in something, and I talked about how I didn't read the scripture, the entire book of Mark this week. Um, I did go to our family group, and we had some really deep conversations about the book of Mark already. About, about what we find in the scriptures. I'm amazed that when we look at the word, how much is in there. And here you have this moment in Jesus' life, and this is a valid question to say, then the, the heavens torn open and the spirit descends and lands on Jesus like a dove. Like a dove. And you can get the imagery here of the spirit um, in this form. And if I was thinking, like, how does this really happen? And you think about the way, a, have you ever watched a bird land? Have you ever watched that happen? By the way, if you have, you're like, I've not seen a dove land. It's kind of like a pigeon. It's kind of the same family of birds. And it's funny how we think one's beautiful and the other one's a, a pain in the rear end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get out of here, pigeons. Oh, look at the doves. They're so cute. It's the same family of animals, isn't it? But when they come in there, there's a, you know, a lots of wind, right? Remember, spirit is pneuma. There's lots of, and then there's this kind of this gentle touchdown, unless they're bad at landing. But I think that's not true of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and, and it literally means, and I say that, I say landed on him because we think, well, it was like this, you know, you know, but there's this thing where this, this, this bird-like presence comes down and lands, and it literally means to put a foot on something, touchdown, contact, an anointing, a moment, and that's exactly what happens as the Spirit lands on Jesus in that moment. 
I asked the question about Jesus being with spirit. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We can talk about that. That's not in this text. But we also know um, from another gospel that John was filled with the Spirit from birth and did a flip in his mother's womb when he was in the presence of Jesus. That's what the Word says. So you can see the Spirit kind of laying out the groundwork for the clean Messiah through John the Baptist and his proclamation of a righteous king who's coming. And then you see now in the baptism of Jesus this presence of the Spirit as he lands upon Jesus after baptism. Remember Jesus' words, that all righteousness might be fulfilled. The revelation comes from heaven. The Spirit lands on Jesus. And the third thing that we see here, of course, is a voice from heaven says, You are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Right? So we have this, I don't know what to even call it, you know, supernatural, it's probably a good word, baptism experience. Where the heavens are rendered open, whatever was between us and the Creator has been removed. The Spirit descends and lands on Jesus, and then the Word says that a voice, gnoscos, it's, it's birthed, it's, it, 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 it descends from heaven to speak. This whole passage is written in the context that says that he saw. He saw. And I thought, well, it's got to be John or someone in the crowd. But when you read it, it's like Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it. The righteous son, God from on high. And so in this moment, I thought, well, is that what's really happening? But then you have to hear the word. You have to listen to the word. And we're going to get to how this applies to our baptism in a moment. But, but you have to hear what's being said here of Jesus. Jesus, the perfect son of God who um, lived a sinless life, is here in this moment. And to fulfill righteousness, does what he always does, which is obey his father in baptism. That's what he does. I'm going to be baptized. And he's baptized, and the heavens open, and the Spirit descends and lands on him, and the Father speaks, and this is what the Word says. And I checked it because I was wondering, and it says, You are my son. You are my son. It says more than that. It says, You are the beloved. And then it finishes, And with you, I'm well pleased. This moment, before we can make it about anything else, has to be all about Jesus, who he is, who the Father says that he is, and the anointing that he receives in that moment. And I will have to confess, there's mystery in this, right? If you, you can't read the text honestly and not say there's some mystery in what's happening here. But we have this moment that we get to view, to glimpse in to the relationship the love, the adoration, the presence, and the blessing of the Father on the Son. His baptism is first and foremost about who He is. You are my Son, the Beloved, and with you I'm well pleased. This hasn't happened. No one has pleased God. 
no one has had that relationship with God. It will be far later in the text when Jesus starts to say, my dad, you know, God says, and people get really mad about that, that people begin to understand the power of what's communicated right here at the beginning of the gospel. That Jesus is indeed the son who has pleased his father. I want to take a little sidebar for a moment and talk about mode or method of baptism. <clears throat> um, if you've been around church world a while, we have this kind of weird conversation about sprinkling and, and dipping people, right? Baptizing, dipping them like wash in the, in the bucket, you know? Or like your friends at the pool, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I actually knew some brothers and sisters who, who have been very, like, dis- uncomfortable with, you know, what, what mode is the proper mode and how do we do it? Um, I don't know. This we clearly see here that Jesus is immersed. I don't know that that negates any other act of faith in Jesus' name and baptism. And I just wanted to put, that's kind of a weird side conversation, but it does happen around baptism. And I just wanted to say that. Like, I don't think that my friend's baptism by sprinkling is any less valid than my baptism by immersion. Right? And, uh, and, and uh, you know, the flip side is, if you can get baptized by immersion, why not? Why not? So we have this mode. And, and the other thing is, I wanted to say that it's powerful how this, there's a few things we call sacraments in the church, and baptism is one that has been preserved for over 2,000 years. That when you partake in the baptism of Jesus Christ, when you partake in being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're partaking in the same uh, moment that Jesus did that those who repented of their sin before Jesus did, and that those who've been baptized since Jesus have. So it's this long-standing, enduring, um, spiritual, holy, supernatural, ordinary moment in all of our lives. The, uh, the, the next thing I want to point out to you guys is we see here for the first time this idea, and it's right away, I say for the first time as if it can come sooner in the Gospel of Mark, of a triune God of a trinity, one God, three persons, distinctly manifests right in the same passage of Scripture. And this gets us into a lot of trouble with people who say, well, you, only, you can't have more than one God, and they're right. There's only one God, and that's God. But here we have a display of the three distinct persons. You have, of course, the Father who is speaking over the Son. You have the Son who is coming up out of the water, and then you have the Holy Spirit who's landing on the Son, anointing Him for the work that He is called to do. So we have a very clear picture there of this triune God that we come to know and worship and indeed live in, which is the kind of the point to all that. It's not about some, we're going we're to argue about tri, triune God who's one God and three persons, all that, versus someone else who has many, many gods or someone else who says, no, there's only one, which is true. Um, and because it's different because we have these different ways that we need God, the same God. Let's take a moment and talk about it. Like we need a, we need a God who says, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. The difference between us and Jesus is we know that that's not true. That we know in that moment it's not God speaking a truth over us like he did with Jesus, but it's God speaking his mercy over us as a loving father. This is my son. This is my daughter, the beloved. And in them I'm well pleased. So we have God the Father. 
We have the Son on the cross to forgive all of our sins when we're baptized. That's what we're doing. Having recognized the remission of our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're baptized. And the scriptures actually say we're baptized into death in Jesus Christ, being raised to new life. And so we're baptized for the remission of our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ, so we have the Son. And it also says, at the moment you believe, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. So when you have this cleansing of the Lord, of our sin, we receive the true, uh, eternal manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And therefore, we can live each day in Him. One God, three modes, true for us. It's not just a theology thing, it's a practical thing. Walking around in the Spirit, how else are we to do it were the Spirit of not, God not on us and with us? Fighting sin in our life, how else are we to do it if the Spirit of God is not in us and with us? We have no hope without God. And so we have the same experiences very practically in our lives. So I want to compare and contrast a little bit the baptism of Jesus versus ours. I want to make some distinctions. I love it. By the way, the greatest thing about reading Scripture is to know God better and to learn things. And I I never, okay, I always learn things. I'll say it simply. I never fail to learn things or I always learn things when I read Scripture. Um, And this week was no exception. Um, First of all, we know that Jesus is without sin. That's distinctly different about Jesus and his baptism. So much so that John says, I shouldn't baptize you. And Jesus says, this is for righteousness sake. You should. This is the method. This is the mode. This is what we're going to do. But Jesus is without sin. But the difference is, for us, we're filled of sin. At the point of baptism, we're, we're, we're full of sin. At the point of uh, coming to faith, we're full of sin. The scriptures say that um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not for our righteousness, not for our holiness, but because of our broken, helpless state, he gave his life that we could be free of our sin. There's a couple places, if you want to look it up, it says it explicitly, Acts 2, 38, I'm not going to go there, and Acts 22, 16. Both places it says, we are baptized for the remission of our sins. And, and that might sound um, kind of... Crazy, and I just want to take a minute and talk about it, but I've, I've, that's the first time I've actually thought about that distinctly as a, mo, as a method or no, as a result or an effect of baptism is the remission of our sins. Whenever I got baptized, it was much more simple. I just thought, Jesus did it, I should do it, and I did it. But here we have Peter in the book of Acts, and he's saying, every one of you now be baptized for the remission of your sins. There's something in the act identifies, that recognizes our need to be cleaned. So that's one difference. Ours is for the remission, just like, by the way, John the Baptist's baptism. It said, I I can actually look at it real quick, but it said, um, John came baptizing in the region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? The same thing, remittance of sins. Forgiveness of sins is the same idea. So that's why we're baptized. That's why we're baptized for remission of sins. Um, he did not need to repent. Jesus didn't, because he was God's perfect son. He had pleased God. He was perfectly obedient even to that moment when he didn't need to be baptized. He was obedient to be baptized. We, on the other hand, must repent of our sin, and that's a distinction we have to see. The call, and we're going to hear it again when Jesus begins to preach, is repent and believe the good news. 
Not keep on sinning and believe the good news. Stop sinning and believe the good news. Turn away from your sin, which we're going to talk about, but it means to turn directly toward God. It means to turn around 180 degrees and face God instead of your sin. If you and I are constantly facing the sin in our life, we're not looking at our Savior. We're not looking at the God who died to forgive us. If we're obsessing, if we're, you know, toying with our sin or even just staring at it, we're not paying attention to the God who's redeemed us from our sin. The call is to repent, to turn away. That was not true of Jesus. He needn't repent of anything. He was claimed and affirmed by the Father, and I've already shared with you, I believe in salvation. We are claimed and affirmed by the Father. I will say this clearly to you all. I don't, I don't believe that it is up to us to retain our salvation because if it were up to us, we'd be doomed forever. It is because of his righteousness and his proclamation and his claim on our life that no one can wrestle us from his hand. And so we are utterly and completely dependent on him. And therefore, the words, this is my son or daughter whom I love, and with them I'm well pleased. Jesus was affirmed by the Holy Spirit, and I already shared with you, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we believed. That's in Ephesians 1.13. The moment you believed in Jesus Christ, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a guarantee of the inheritance to come. We just talked about that as a church. And then the last, and there's more probably, but these are just ones I kind of picked out as I went through there. Jesus was sent out immediately. This has come from my time, both as a person who's been baptized and a person who's baptized others, but I believe that it's a marker in our journey. It's like a, a, a waypost along the way, and I believe that what naturally flows out of a baptized, believing person is mission and ministry. And I don't mean mission like if you think about, oh, it's the missionaries. I mean being on mission where we are, doing ministry, being in the community. And I don't mean just at church events. I mean like in everyday ways. You know, like this weekend I'm thinking we got a lot of hunters and stuff, you know. I've seen some pictures and this, this from, the, uh, from the hunting that's already started. There are opportunities to be uh, missionaries and to be ministers in the field. That's what we're all called to do. No matter where we serve, where we live, what we do every day of our lives. We are called to bring the very presence of God to others. To be witnesses to his glory. And so I believe, I believe this, you know, that, that, that uh, the baptism, just like Jesus is sent out, we are then sent out into the mission field. Now I want to talk for a minute about um, the way that we're sent out because this might surprise some of you as it surprises me. You would think after this high holy moment, this moment where the heavens are open and the spirit descends and God speaks that there's, man, it's going to be good times and awesome stuff from here on out, Right? He's the Messiah. It's been spoken. Everything's going to be, you know, flat and easy and straight, and everything's going to be awesome. And yet, what we see, and we have to acknowledge the absolute sovereignty of God, it's in verse 12. It says, at once. That word is the same word as when he came out of the water. Immediately, as soon as he came up, these words were spoken. Immediately, Jesus was sent by the Spirit out into the desert. As soon as as he had this affirmation from the Father of who he is, of what is going on. He has the Spirit in him. He's sent out into the desert. This, you know, we think of a desert as being a desert. I don't know if you've ever been to a desert before. Um, I, I remember one time I, I rode across the desert on a motorcycle. It was just awful and long and hot and never-ending. It was just like no hope, no gas stations, no shade. I mean, it was just terrible. 
But you can think of it even as a philosophical place, or, I mean, he was sent to a literal, the wilderness, they call it, right? But it was a place of desolation, or a place of abandonment, a place, and a matter of fact, the word being sent out means that he was cast out, or he was thrown out. So you have Jesus who's been training. He's, we know from other texts he's been in the synagogues. He's been learning. And in this moment, this high holy moment, he's immediately thrown into this very difficult, very uncomfortable situation. And the word says for 40 days. Other texts say 40 days, 40 nights, to be clear. He's not just day, day tripping out there. All the time, Jesus is alone, battling in the desert. Many of you have had this experience where you've come to faith in Christ and there's that moment of joy, there's that moment of this is awesome and everything's going to be different. And sometimes we make huge promises that we can't possibly keep and then bam, we find ourselves in the desert alone, isolated. Have you ever had that experience in your life where you feel like God has pulled out every support in your life? You're like, oh, this is awesome. I've got all these people around. And then God starts taking them, and it's like, what are you doing, God? And then you, all of a sudden you realize, like, you feel, like, completely alone. Why would God do that? Here we hear the story of Jesus and how he was cast out. His very son, the beloved, was sent to the desert for 40 days. And not only was he sent there, but then check this. He was being tempted by Satan. And that's the adversary. The one who is against God comes against Jesus immediately in the desert. So at this moment of vulnerability, this moment whenever nothing is comfortable anymore, this moment whenever all the support is gone and everything that Jesus knew and loved and would like, you know, cling to is removed from him, at that moment alone in the desert, the enemy of God comes to tempt or to test or to try Jesus to poke him with a stick. Let me see what you're made of. Let me see who you are. I have to ask a question. Why would a God who loves his son so much immediately send his son into the desert to be tempted and tried by the enemy of God? Does that thought come to your head? I think as we look forward in the text to the things that Jesus must face, the things that he will have to contend with, this is a time of hardening, a time of conviction, a time of prayer, a time to say, God, you called me to this place for this reason. You removed the support, but you're still here. I still have work to do. I have a mission. And maybe, I don't know, in your life, have you had that experience where you felt like, wait a minute, I had all the support and now it's gone and all I have is my faith. All I have is the God who said, this is my son or this is my daughter, the beloved in whom I'm well pleased. You see, what you realize is it's enough. Oh, that's enough. The presence of God is enough. The Spirit of God is enough. And then we will see when Jesus comes back from the desert, he blossoms into this ministry that can't, won't be stopped. For all the people and all the support and all the naysayers and everyone, Jesus' determination to fulfill the call that God has given him. 
will be done. A couple more interesting facts that are included here about his time in the desert is it says Jesus was with the wild animals. And there's a couple ways you could think about it. And, and there, by the way, I say, well, why stop here at the wild animals? Well, why put it there? Why record that in Scripture? Yeah, we know he's in the desert, so why record he's with wild animals? That, that would make sense, right? If you're in the desert and you're a little isolated and alone, far from help, um, animals are a risk. An animal you could deal with in the city, you can't deal with in the desert, right? Uh, there's nowhere to hide. Uh, there's no room for help. Uh, you can't make it back to civilization, you know? So you could see this possibly as Jesus being in danger even from the creation of God, even from the things that God had made and said are very good in this desert place, alone and isolated, tempted by Satan, these very creatures become dangerous to him. Possible. Uh, something else you, you could also think, Jesus was just part of the wild animals. I mean, can you imagine the Son of God as a common as a, a rattlesnake or a, a, an owl or a sparrow, like just mixed in with creation? He was right with them. I don't know. There's probably other ways you could think of it. Definitely a hostile environment, but definitely in God's sovereignty. Not a mistake, by the way. Many of us say, oh, that's a mistake. Why is he out there? says the Spirit cast him out there. And we would believe that. In times of hardship, you know, why, God, why is this happening? Why not? Why can't we believe that God would send us into hard things for his mission, for his purpose? So the wild animals there, and then check this out. Angels, that's messengers, ministered to him. Right? Angels attended Jesus in the time of difficulty. That's beautiful. So what you have here is a God who casts his son into a difficult situation. He's facing all kind of adversity from the enemy of God. He's in the fight. And then God brings the salve, you know. He brings the ointment. He brings the oils. He binds up the wounds. He says, no, I'm, I'm still here with you. The messengers come from God, and they diakonos, they serve Jesus. There's lots of things we could think about here, but you think about one. Can you imagine being 40 days and nights in the desert with no food, right? And later Jesus says, um, I have bread you don't know about. And they're like, oh, you went and got bread? And it's the word of God he's feeding off of, being delivered by the angels that they're ministering, they're waiting tables for Jesus. Here, here's another morsel to sustain you another day. How many times in our lives do we not recognize that? That God is ministering to us in our times of need. God leads the banishment, God orchestrates the struggle, and then God brings the healing to his son. All those things. You must have a big view of God to believe that. Otherwise, it's all accidental, circumstantial, and what a shame. But if you actually read what the text says, these are God's purpose-driven um, moments. This is Him working for the good of His Son and for His own glory. 
So we're going to turn the corner now in verse 14. And this is the next thing we hear. After John was put in prison, right? After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. There's something that's easy to miss, but if you look back in verse 9, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth, where? In Galilee. So he's called out of this comfortable home place, and the moment that John the Baptist is put into prison, it says Jesus immediately returns to Galilee. He went to Galilee, and he began to proclaim the good news of God. He says this, the time has come and the kingdom of God is near. And then he says these words, oh, would you repent and believe the good news. After his testing and his trial, his sustaining in the desert, he hears of John the Baptist and he comes back to the place it all started to begin to proclaim the kingdom of God is here. And many of us might think of a kingdom of God as like, yes, it's going to be the it's streets of gold and it's glorious and it's beautiful and all that. And he's like, it's the rule, it's the reign, it's the sovereignty, it's his presence, it's his ministering, it's his, you know, the spirit, the rule of God is here. The boldness that we see him return from the desert, the passion, and in the moment of John being imprisoned for doing exactly what he's called to do. Jesus comes and begins to proclaim this good news. Um, we have to see that this is all rooted in who God says that God is and his right to be that. Um, he proclaims this good news that the time has been fulfilled. Jesus says, this is the moment we've been waiting for. The kingdom of God, the rule of God is at hand. And then he says to everyone who would hear, repent and believe the good news. Turn away from your sin and believe in God's promises. I will say one other thing. All this whole story is rooted in the context of Israel, of the people of God. And so when Jesus comes back from the desert, he says, the kingdom of God is near. This is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Repent and believe the good news. See, that call hasn't changed since Jesus said it. I mean, it got to us, the, the Gentile nations. It came to us because of their neglect of the word, but the call to repent and believe good news hasn't changed. Jesus calls all of us to stop playing with our sin, to stop staring at it, and to turn and to face him, to completely focus on who God is. His reign, his rule is present with us. And it is from this conviction that all of the ministry begins. The Christian church indeed begins. Repent and believe the good news. You know, I don't know um, how, how many times we should repent. How many times? Is that like a one-time deal? You know, repent and believe. Yes, I repented back then and I believed. Or just a continual turning away. Not, not turning away from, but turning toward God. 
don't know if you feel that in your life ever, like just repent again. Just return to God again. Just come to him again. The one who died to save us. Um, I believe that's the call, and I believe that we have an opportunity to do that. Um, I, th- I, th- I feel like we live in a time where it's, it's just all so easy, you know. Just, we can claim to be something and not be it. Uh, we can claim to do something and not do it. Or we can be honest and see what the scriptures say and be like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to repent. I'm going to believe the good news. If you've not done that, if there's something in your life that, that you need to repent of, I encourage you today to do it. Just repent. Maybe God's something in your heart right now. God's like, you need to repent of this. Well, you know, today could be the day to do that. I mean, you should do it today. I'm going to um, pray with us. I also want us to think a little bit about baptism, you know, like, man, well, why are we doing it? Have we done it? Why haven't we done it? What's that mean about your faith life? Um, are, you, are you ready? Are you willing to take that step with God and say, yeah, I'll do whatever's next, you know? I, I want to be obedient in that way. Um, I would encourage you to be praying about that as well. Not that I know anything about where you're at. I'm just encouraging you to think about it. As I pray, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. Actually, we're going to um, head to the back and be praying for you. And if you want to go and to pray with someone, if there's something that, that uh, you need someone to pray for you for, you, you know, whatever it is, you can go back and, and just talk, just share a word. You know, there's this one thing, or maybe nothing. Maybe you can't even say it, but you just go back and you I just need prayer. Would you just pray with me? We invite you to come back, and we'll pray for you. We'll pray with you um, after we're done praying here. Please pray with me if you would today. Father, we just thank you so much uh, for the glory, uh, for the truth of your scripture, um, for the powerful way that you demonstrate your great love for us. We confess that we get it wrong so often and, and we believe it's about us or it's about making life easier. And yet we must acknowledge and confess and we do willingly confess today that you are sovereign. There's nothing outside of your hand and that we can trust you with everything in our life. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would convict us of our sin, that you would show it to us now that we could repent, that you would bring a fierce light to the things that we should let go of, that we might turn to God and be saved. Father, would you show us that right now in your great mercy and love? Would you demonstrate, would you show us the things that we should repent of and help us to fix our eyes on you, help us to see you, help us to always have our gaze set on you. Father, this morning as we come to you in prayer with sincere hearts, Lord, would you examine us and would you prepare us? Would you work in us? We believe what your word says, that we are your children, that you love. And so we need you to do this work. Father, uh, we just pray a prayer that we would be like Jesus, that we would be obedient to what you show us. Help us to be obedient, Lord, in the things you reveal. May you be glorified as we seek you out together. We love you so much, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.